What can be done to raise the sights of children of color in Dallas so that they have an imagination of opportunity? Byron Sanders of Big Thought is going to talk about just that and the work that they do with their nonprofit on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program today, Byron Sanders. Byron, we're glad to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, Byron is the president and CEO of a creative educational enterprise called Big Thought. That's right. Big Thought. And it is a big social transformation organization that we're going to get to talking about after a while, a, a little more. But uh, Byron, I think uh, because this is good God, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we like to talk about people's faith journey that got them into this work and, yeah. and how it informs your work and, 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 and how <clears throat> you, you connect the dots between uh, your own personal spiritual life and, and the work you do. So uh, tell us something about your uh, self-identification in yeah. terms of your faith. Absolutely. You know, so I grew up here in Dallas. Right. And I grew up a church kid, too. Yep. Um, okay. And, um, you know, it, it, most of my life was in southern Dallas. Mm -hmm. DeSoto, Oak Cliff, a um, little bit of Pleasant Grove, you know, it was, but it was it was kind of the Southern Dallas life, right? right? And um, my mother is an educator. She was a teacher for the longest time. She just retired after 36 years, not too long ago. And she's doing what all retired teachers do, which is teach. Teach. <laughs> um, exactly. But still living her best life, right? That's good. <laughs> so education kind of just was, was in the atmosphere, right? It was in right. the drinking water growing up. Right. Um, but what was interesting was I started off in Dallas Independent School District, loved my school, Dell Turner, gave me really solid grounding in who I was, yeah. uh, my culture, my identity. I learned to love, um, you know, my blackness. I learned to love history um, a, about a, a culture that I really identify with. And then from there, went to uh, the Town City Gifted Magnet, still in Dallas Independent School District, um, over in... Um, uh, spent so that was went from Oak Cliff to East Dallas mm -hmm. got a different experience there Oak Cliff all black <laughs> Excuse me. It was an all-black school um, And then East Dallas uh, It was a mostly Hispanic school and then mm -hmm. I was in the tag segment, which right. was you know a little bit more diverse, but different uh, environment met a mentor in my little nerd outlet, which was history day and uh, history day Donald Payton told me about this school called Green Hill. So I went out and visited, yep. loved it, took a tour. There were peacocks walking around. I'm like, <laughs> I want to go to the school of peacocks, right? Um, right. And so went up there, and I thought I was hot stuff, and I was going to come in and be hot stuff because I'm hot stuff. That's what I do in school. This right. is what I do, right. right? Well, I got baptized in a uh -huh. different set of expectations. Right. Uh, and it wasn't that, that, you know, they're using different books or, you know, algebra is algebra is algebra, right? But um, I was not used to uh, the inquiry that, uh, that students were, were expected to have. Right. Uh, I thought when kids were um, talking back to the teacher, I thought they were being disrespectful as right. opposed to having an actual conversation. Right. 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 You know, the, the, it was a completely different Culture. frame of reference. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I got the hang of it after two years. Mm -hmm. Got the hang of it. 
But I would never forget, though, that I would be impatently aware that I was getting something really special at this school. Mm -hmm. But I happened to be in the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. met the right mentor who told me about a school that I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, happened to have a mother and father who were willing to sacrifice. We woke up at 5 o'clock every morning so that I could catch the bus in West Dallas at 6.30 wow. at the Boys Club. And then we'd go pick up some more kids in East Dallas and we'd head up to Addison. Um, and, you know, I, I happened and, you know, was able to do so with mostly a full ride. Yeah. And wow, that was a lot of dominoes that had to fall in order for me to have that experience. Mm -hmm. The kind of experience that allowed me to be on the dean's list my first year when I got to Southern Methodist University. And right. school, college wasn't a shock for me. Right, right, right. And I was patently aware that every day when I drove back home mm -hmm. and we crossed at Trinity, and I'm passing the neighborhoods that I grew up in right. or the neighborhoods where you would take the exit to get to church and mm -hmm. um, you, you couldn't forget what was going on with the lives of the folks that right. were my classmates or the right. people right. that I was, you know, that I would play football with or run and, track and, with. And so the goal shouldn't be that you have to get out in That's order right. to move up, that you should be able to to move up by staying right where you are. Opportunity should abound everywhere. Exactly. And and I knew I had to do something in education. I had no yeah. idea what I was going to do. Right. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Graduate University of Tulsa, mm -hmm. come back. Mm -hmm. I'm working in pharmaceutical sales. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was a gaping hole in the fulfillment part uh -huh. of my uh, competition. Here comes the spiritual. And... Um, went on a really deep search for what that thing was. Yeah. And I came to a mission statement. Yeah. Mission of Byron Keith Sanders is to love my God with all my heart and soul, to be the husband, father, son, and brother, according to what pleases him, and to work diligently and daily in my most sincere efforts to pursue my appointed purpose with honor, character, bravery, and love. Now, wait a minute. That's, that's a mission paragraph. That's not a mission <laughs> statement. Yeah. That's good. Listen, that's it is good. A, it's a powerful tool yes that helped me know what to say yes to uh, also helped me know what to say no to right it crystallized my pathway right and became my north star yeah and it's something that i say every day okay i have it stitched into some of my clothes i right. mean like it is yeah it truly is that that thing that anchor that i use Good. to keep my purpose for being mm -hmm. on this planet mm -hmm. um paramount and forefront good and so that's what led me on the purpose-driven path toward working explicitly in the spaces for education and it started well, a journey I'm a few steps in but but that yeah. journey started uh, once I crystallized with that mission all statement. right so there's your mission statement yeah and it starts with very biblical language absolutely all right so where'd you get that well <clears throat> when I first started it was to be I, and I, because I, I had to start somewhere. I had no idea what this statement was going to be, but it was uh, to be the best pharmaceutical sales rep the world has ever <laughs> It's a long way from love it's the Lord your way. God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, it, it, I just had to write something down just right. to get the ball going. Right. But what happened was I went through the why exercise. Ah, very good. I kept very asking good. myself, well, right. okay, if that is it, then why? Right. Right. And I just asked so many whys, studied, prayed, fasted. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it took, literally, it took about three months mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. there in 2007. Okay. 
and um, um, every single word is intentional. Sure. And the priorities, even in the statement, right. are laid out. When right. I said to love my God with all my heart and soul, right. it's an action word that really is kind of the core constitution of sure. who I am, from which everything else flows. Right, right. And what it became more for me was not just, hey, um, this is what I'm going to do. It became an identity. Yes. And so no matter where I go, I carry that with me. No matter what job I'm doing, right. that mission statement hasn't changed. So th this is an important thing to say, I think, for, for all of us who, I, I think a lot of people do jobs and they don't get the difference between a job and a vocation. That's right, that's right. Right? So, mm -hmm. so I like to say that, it, that uh, a, a job is an occupation. Yeah. A, a, a vocation is a preoccupation. Ah, that's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get it. That, that, that a job is something you can do. Mm -hmm. A vocation is something you can't not do. That's it. Uh, and so when you have a mission statement like yours, then, then what's happening is it, it really, the, the particulars of how you carry that out yeah. are less important yeah. than whether it, those are being driven by the, the main thing. Amen to that. Yeah. When I realized that I didn't have a bullseye, uh-huh that I had to hit somewhere down the line in the right. future. Right. Uh, when I realized that it was much more about who I'm trying to be in this moment, good, in this time, for my God, uh -huh. be, <clears throat> and being present to the purpose that he's given for me at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly been a trend, Yep. but man, every five-year plan that I'd written before ends up getting balled up and tossed out the window. Sure. Because I don't have enough imagination to dream up exactly what God has for me. But the mission doesn't have to change. That's the beauty. Exactly. That's so the then, then you know the, so all right, so let's move from pharmaceutical uh -huh. to big thought. Yeah. So all right. How did you get how from in the one world to did the that happen? Yeah. yeah. Well <clears throat> When I was in pharmaceutical, I was like, I'm going to make a ton of money, and then I'll do something later on when I'm like 60 or so. Um, hey, 60 is not so bad. 60 is a great age. <laughs> it's a great age. Yeah, you yeah. wear it well. Okay, thanks. <laughs> but honestly, um, everybody has a different purpose and different reason for being here, right? right? And God puts a different little seed inside of you. Right. Um, for me, it was that I needed to be, like you said, for my job, the thing that I was mm -hmm. doing the majority of the day, right. that needed to be where I was living my yeah. purpose. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. So I resigned. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I can tell, right? Yep. And it comes through. Right. But I, so I resigned um, and went to Group Excellence. It was mm -hmm. actually a mentor and tutoring company mm -hmm. that we started when we were undergrads at SMU. Wow. And um, I came over 2000 at the end of. 2008 was when I was making that transition, started top of 20, uh, 2009. There was a bunch of late, mid to late 20 year olds. And mm -hmm. so we were a social enterprise before mm -hmm. we had the terminology, which really would have helped with the capital raise. Yes. But, uh, but our whole premise was using college students as both mentors and tutors Good. in schools that needed the, uh, needed the help and mm -hmm. with lives that needed the support. Right. And um, we grew. And we went in 2011. We were an Inc. 500 company, so we were the fifth fastest growing education company mm. in the country. Um, and I think we did about 15 million top line revenue because we were working in 
all the urban centers, uh, major urban centers in Texas, except for mm -hmm. El Paso. Okay. And, um, and it was a joy because you had all these purpose-driven young people out there working alongside equally brilliant but unaware mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. in marginalized communities. Right. And magic was happening mm -hmm. all over the all over the state. I think we worked with about you know a couple hundred thousand students that year. Right. Um, and several schools got off the bad list. Uh, you know, with state mm -hmm. accountability because of the gains they were able to make. That was Group Excellence. And that started the journey, okay. first step. Well, and let's just stop there for a moment and, and, and just reflect on what you just said, and that is when, when you put these mentors side mm -hmm. by side mm -hmm. with um, people in underprivileged mm -hmm. educational settings, yeah. the magic starts to happen. Yeah. It, and, and this is something I think people who grow up in privileged communities yeah. don't understand in the sense that that's already happening for them. Yeah. I mean, it's just the air they breathe, the water they drink, mm -hmm. it's the normal course of life. They have people who look like them. Yeah. They have people who are successful in their homes and in their, their communities, mm -hmm. and they aspire to be like that person. Yeah. But that is not always true in underprivileged, in pr pretty much generally speaking, in, in, in underprivileged areas. And so uh, when, when you do that, you up the human capital uh, imagination, don't ah, you? Listen, that is, you hit on something amazing right there because we stretch for the capacity that we believe is reasonable and rational to, right. to attain, even if right. it's somewhat bold and audacious, right? right? right. Um, the analogy I always use, <clears throat> if you tell me to go and make the Olympic four by one mm -hmm. relay team, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I'm actually not going to work very hard for that. <laughs> it's a little outside of my range. Right, right. And so I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, sure, right? right. But if you tell me there's a $500 purse for the flag football rec league for, you know, right. uh, mm -hmm. 30 to 45-year-olds right. locally in the community, uh -huh. I'll actually, I, you know what? I'll go to practice. Uh -huh. I'll get in shape. I'll right. stretch. Right. Right. Uh -huh. I will go and play for that because that's attainable. Yeah. Um, for a lot of our kids in these communities where they haven't had a role model, their parents, um, you know, themselves didn't have a positive experience with the education system, so they don't have the degree or whatever. They haven't seen things, right? Yes. Their world is as small as their block right. sometimes. Well, telling that guy or that kid, hey, you right. can go and, you know, be a doctor. Right. You could be a lawyer. Be anything you want to you be. You could be anything, anything you want to be. Listen, this is a land yeah. of opportunity. Yeah. Go get it. Yeah. Uh -huh. there's and a, there's and a, that could be crippling because then that's right. if if they when they find out that that's not really possible for that's them, right. now it's their fault. Mm -hmm. It's the and the and the, the self-loathing that happens, the, yeah. the loss of self-esteem. Let's pick it up there when we come back from our break because yeah. there's so much more that, that this is going to pursue. Yeah. Big thought. Big All thought. Right. Here so we go. fast forward a few steps. All right. Uh, All right. hold in. that one here. We're going to we're going to we're going to promote Big Thought and yeah. we'll come back and talk. Cool. Okay. Big Thought is a nonprofit organization that works with partners across the city to provide creative learning programs that enrich the lives of young people. 
with a mission to close the opportunity gap for youth by making imagination a part of everyday learning. Through educational programs and system-wide community partnerships, Big Thought provides access to high-quality learning experiences that power creativity and foster social and emotional well-being. We're back with Byron Sanders, and Byron, we were just talking about big thought and about, uh, more generally, the, the, the capacity for people in underserved communities mm -hmm. really to imagine a future that is both um, filled with promise but yeah. realistic at the same time, yeah. and, and how, to, how to pull that off, and this, this idea of mentors coming alongside is a crucial part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, you know, what a mentor does is it gives a young person permission to succeed right right it gives them permission to dream right uh, it gives them access to a uh, arsenal of dreams that they might not have had access to yeah. before yeah. just by simple exposure right just because you don't know what you don't know right you can't dream of what you've never seen or have any type of conception well and this is this is actually one of the things that most people don't realize was the negative impact mm -hmm. of the school's desegregation mm -hmm. in that bef before desegregation mm. of schools, every black kid and person of color in their schools had teachers mm -hmm. who looked like them, principals who looked like them, yep. people who could, they could look in the eye and could look at them and, and they could believe in, they could aspire to, they, yep. could, they could see these role models. You desegregate the schools, and all of a sudden what you're doing is you're busing kids into white schools. Yeah. Black principals and teachers don't get jobs, and, and they're, they're finding other places to be. Instead of integrating everybody, That's right. uh, where now there's somebody to look up to for everybody, mm -hmm. now you put, you put black kids into white schools, and, and, and who, who do they have to look up to? That's right. But then, <clears throat> then those of us in, in the white privileged community say, well, look, they're not achieving because their family structure is bad. Yeah, you know that that sort of thing. But but they don't understand that there's a whole systemic issue involved in all of this that we're we're now able to get some distance and reflect upon. That's right. And in doing so, we're starting to make progress in shifting all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but every every hand on deck here, you nonprofits like yours has to play, have to play a role in this too. Absolutely. Without yeah. a doubt, you know what you what you're hitting on is the uh, whole notion of this concept of stereotype threat. Yes, um, and the the um, risk of it grew mm -hmm. um, when we did desegregation the way we did it. That's right. And I think what's important for folks to know is that desegregation as a goal was the right target. Right. The process that we use right. was the one that was ultimately. Um, showed to have long-term some uh, s some positive effects in closing the opportunity gap, mm -hmm. but the way it did it was traumatizing, right. and it removed those really powerful and important um, exactly. um, role models right. and people who had just cultural context right. and belief that yeah. these kids actually were capable. Well, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the, <coughs> the, there is a kind of cultural intelligence that has to be in play mm -hmm. uh, in every context mm -hmm. in, in order for people to thrive That's and right. when you have a when you can have all sorts of other kinds of intelligence mm -hmm. but if you lack cultural competence yeah uh, then there's going to be some 
some irritation and some some failure take place in systems. That's and right. so what, that's what I think we found in schools that because we never fully got there. And then once we did that, we had white flight, which left, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so we're, we're, I'm proud of what I see happening in DISD. I think mm -hmm. we have some tremendously innovative uh, progress going on there and achievement is coming back, but that hasn't actually changed yet. The, the demographic dy dynamics right. and part of what you're talking about here here is uh, is strengthening and supporting those role models that I think uh, are, are going to make a real difference. Absolutely, you know, and, and mentoring is certainly a part of our work at, um, at, at Big Thought. You know, another really important part of our work is this notion of social and emotional learning. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a uh, um, very important body of research and evidence that is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, um, that highlights the effect that trauma has yes. on the life of a human being, right? Right, And I don't want to limit this to children because mm -hmm. you see it there, but it has long-term effects. Right. Right. This whole notion of adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. right? There's research, it was a landmark study, it was done in 1997, uh, 98, um, Center Disease Control mm -hmm. Prevention, uh, out in um, the western part of the country. And what they did is they actually did the study with a relatively affluent population because they wanted to show that adverse childhood experiences are fairly universal. Ah, uh, okay. But the problem is, well, one, they saw that you could actually predict long-term health um, uh, negative outcomes mm. based on experiences that a child had that would fall in these categories of witness maternal abuse. Uh, uh, experience neglect, um, uh, themselves experience sexual abuse, right? right? Those types of categories. There were sure. 10 different categories they were looking at. And what they saw was that you can actually predict not just if they're going to have any mental health issues, but if they were going to have diabetes. Wow. Or congestive heart failure. Wow. You're actually able to predict early death based on trauma that a person undergoes mm. before the age of 18. Wow. Um, that was powerful research. You can understand the implications in the healthcare, but you also understand mm -hmm. the implications in the education sphere. Right, right. Right. Well, bringing that forward, think about if they saw that, I would say, um, ubiquitous a presence of mm -hmm. trauma, right. even amongst a relatively affluent population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think about what you see in concentrated poverty. Wow. And yeah. typically, those are communities mm -hmm. of color. Right. Those are black and brown communities. And the difference is, having trauma does not doom you to having the negative outcomes that come mm -hmm. from it, mm -hmm. but having trauma without buffers to address it, uh -huh. without a there strong, positive, consistent role right. model, adult right. role model, right. without having mental health resources, exactly. or being in a place that could um, be able to provide supports, after school programs, things like that. In those instances, mm -hmm. you're much more susceptible to long-term neg negative effects mm -hmm. of what childhood trauma brings. And you're right. not able to flip that into turning kind of that, that um, resilience Yes. Into a strength. Right. Uh, and it can have a long term, very significant deleterious effect on a, on a young person. And that's one of the main things that we're dealing with mm -hmm. in 
uh, communities that have been under-resourced that, again, are always or typically communities of color. Well, well and let's talk about what happens in under-resourced communities and their schools. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that gets cut in, yeah. in those school programs? That's right. The, 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 it's the support systems and it's the arts. Mm. All right, so when we talk about <laughs> what, is, what produces yeah. healing, mm. Uh, is the activation of those parts of the brain uh, that music and the yeah, arts and dance right. and the like, they, they create uh, opportunities for people to imagine the world differently. Mm. They, 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 it opens up possibilities for them beyond being locked into where they are. Yeah. And, uh, and yet those are the programs that go first. That's right. Because we think... We, you know, for all the, the good that STEM does, you mm -hmm. know, that science, technology, and engineering, and math, because we, we want people to be able to get jobs and to work productively That's and all right. of that. Nonetheless, uh, the, the, the holistic approach to yeah. being able to be a full human being yeah. and to be well and to, and to be a, a, a leader, yeah. uh, not just a, an automaton, not just a worker bee, right. but actually to be a leader, to think creatively. That's where the arts comes in, with right. the imagination and whatnot. That's right. The arts, the creative process. Human beings create, Yes. right? Mm -hmm. Living in those places of what could be, on yes. the frontiers of what's possible, right. if you have not built your creative muscles that mm -hmm. comes through the arts, right. comes through project-based learning, comes yes. through service learning, right. things where you get to go and you have to create, right. then <clears throat> we're doing us as a society, but also the individual, a tremendous disservice. Right. The thing that is really powerful about the advance in technology um, in our lives, in the workforce, <clears throat> is that it's really revealing the things that have always mattered most, but it's stripping away those other things that we used to think were the most important. Hmm. Here's Say what, that, what that. I mean by that. Yeah. Um, automation. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, the technology boom that we're in, mm -hmm. the, in the middle of right now. Uh, the center, uh, sorry, the Federal Department of Labor mm -hmm. saying that 65% of kids today in school are going to be working in jobs that don't, don't yet exist. Wow. That's actually a pretty conservative wow. estimate. Some estimates are as high as 85% wow. by 2030. Wow. New, completely, um, uh, just unimagined jobs, wow. right? Well, Okay, if that's our reality, how in the world are you going to prepare them for that? Right. As educators, as, right. as a system right now, how do you right. prepare a child for a world that's so dynamic we can't even imagine it? Right, right. Well, what you have to do and what futurists are saying, what macroeconomists are saying, what, in, what, what entrepreneurs are saying, is that they're actually going back to the basics. They're saying mm -hmm. that we need to teach kids creative problem solving. Wow. The second thing that they say is most important. We need to teach kids, uh, Martin Ford has a great book, it's called Rise of the Robots. The two elements that he says best prepare people for this new and dynamic world. One, is how to be a creative thinker. Mm -hmm. and two, it's how to build complex human relationships. Wow. Because turns out, you talked about automatons, turns out, you know who's better at being an automaton than a human? An actual robot. Wow. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so all the things that are process-oriented, predictable, right. Right. Uh, repetitive, redundant, things like yeah. that, those things are being done by the machines, and they're being done a lot better. So where is the human being's place right. in society? Right. 
anything that requires creativity and anything that requires a human interaction. We actually see this at a macro level as well. Mm-hmm. If you look at 20, 1975, 1975, you look at the valuation of the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. You had um, about 84 to 85% of that valuation of all of those companies, hard assets, mm-hmm. inventory, real estate, the widgets that they made, right? right? Fast forward to 2015, it's completely inverse. Wow. 83, 84% wow. of the valuation are things that are creative assets. Wow. IP, brand equity, wow. the expectation of you being able to do yes. well, right? right? Right, That's what's even moving our large macroeconomic mm. systems. Wow. Creativity and human beings. Well, and let's, let's just say, if we were to think about this, uh, in terms of the, the current dynamics of the workforce in America, that the people who have lived and worked in in, in jobs mm-hmm. that they feel are are no longer uh, profitable for them, are, yeah. they, they, they feel left out by this economy. They don't feel, you know, we talk about retraining for new jobs and all yes. of that. But when you take when you take that entire workforce and they haven't learned from a young age mm-hmm. to think creatively and and solve problems. What, what are they left with? Well, they're left with fear. That's right. Fear of the future. And, and, and when you operate out of fear, yeah. uh, then you do things that you wouldn't do otherwise to yes. protect yourself, and that doesn't produce a healthy society. Amen to that. So, yeah. We are, um, it, 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 it means that we're not fit for the future. Right. And this is why there's a tremendous sense of urgency that mm-hmm. we should have in yes. order to change our systems. Right. And while we're moving, you know, the fairly inertia-ridden uh, systems, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm talking about not just education system, I'm talking about our healthcare system, I'm talking about our, mm-hmm. you know, all these different kinds of systems, um, we have to have really important partners in the meantime. Right. Because the kids get one shot, right? right? Mm-hmm. They can't wait for us to get our act together. Exactly. Yeah. That's why big thoughts work in organizations like it is so important because we come alongside a partner to the K-12 system and we provide a space that's outside of the accountability-based systems that we have to run in our public education systems. Of course, right? This is alongside. This is alongside and we create space for those creative learning opportunities. And we can connect those to explicit career paths that youth get to explore themselves. Wow. If we can build systems that actually encourage youth agency, mm-hmm. where they're thinking, deciding, and moving of their own accord, then we're better preparing them for a 21st century workforce because those are the kinds of the jobs that will require human beings, wow. where there's agency, forethought, and imagining what's possible Beautiful. as opposed to waiting for things to roll down here. Beautiful. Well, Byron, thank you for your leadership with Big Thought and for helping us understand the big picture of Mm. what's going on in all of this. Uh, We're grateful for your work. Thanks for being on Good God. What a pleasure. Terrific. Thank you. All right. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. 
See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Big Thought is a nonprofit organization that works with partners across the city to provide creative learning programs that enrich the lives of young people with a mission to close the opportunity gap for youth by making imagination a part of everyday learning through educational programs and system-wide community partnerships. Big Thought provides access to high-quality learning experiences that power creativity and foster social and emotional well-being.